Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. This episode originally aired on April 4th, 2020. We were about two weeks into California's shelter-in-place order. And oh man, what a weird time to look back on. I'm sure in the future there's going to be psychological studies about the stages of human behavior during the weeks, months, and then for some years that we were at home. Here's the original introduction to this episode. Hello to all my homebound people out there. My fam is in full hobby mode right now, which means for me talking to you, and for my husband playing his bass in the garage by himself. So that was the stage where we dove into indoor hobbies. Aaron, my partner, is literally playing bass in the background. We were so hopeful, enjoying our time at home, and it went downhill from there, spiraling toward pizza and White Claws. I continued the introduction of the episode with this. Uh, How I miss going places, literally anywhere. In the Bay Area, that mostly means public transportation because parking is a hot mess. We used to hop in a lift at least once a week to go to the city or to go have an adult beverage. So this episode is a tribute to the Lyft drivers out there who are currently missing their livelihood. Honestly, we haven't returned to pre-COVID normal here. I haven't gone near a BART train or a bus, and have only taken a handful of rideshare rides. And they were not enjoyable like they used to be. Our precious Lyft drivers do not seem happy. Maybe we're just all out of practice talking to strangers, or maybe they don't feel safe, or maybe the pay is shite and they don't get health insurance because Lyft fought like hell to have the voter-approved privilege to not provide benefits. I don't know but I miss the good old days of perky drivers willing to make a 20-minute friend and leave you with a stale piece of candy. And I'm guessing they miss having enough riders to make rent while not contracting monkeypox. So let's hop in a time machine and return to the very beginning of rideshare, when taxis ruled the road and drunk drivers were plentiful. My friend Stephanie was a driver back when they had the giant pink mustaches. Remember those? She still has one, which is like a collector's item now. She should probably eBay it. We were cleaning out her apartment recently, and she had a box of old business cards that said lawyer and Lyft driver, which is so classic San Franciscan. So I wanted to know, why did she start lifting, and what was the process to get interviewed and hired when it was brand new? I was out of work, and I had a car. And that was kind of it. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was super early on. Um, We actually had to go into the Lyft office for an interview, which they definitely don't do anymore. It was like a group interview situation. Like, and before I did that, there was like a phone call where they're like, if you could give a lift or give a ride to anybody in history or, you know, one of those things, like, who would it be? I think my answer was uh, Tina Fey. That's a good one. They would encourage you to, like, come up with gimmicks for your ride, right? And, like, practicing, giving fist bumps, you know, doing all of that stuff. And you know how all the driver's pictures have, like, a green leafy background? We actually took our pictures in front of, like, a green leafy wall, which is why they do that now. So it was, yeah, it was. You're like an OG. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was when I started to do it, I had to explain to everybody. Yeah, so I'm a Lyft driver. You know the cars with the big pink mustaches? Yeah, so this is how it works. And everyone was always fascinated by all the details. Because, like, when I started driving, they didn't have Lyft in L.A. yet. I remember because when they started, I wanted to go down and hang with Corey and drive Lyft there. But they wouldn't let you do it. Like, you had to, like, pick a market. So, like, in order for me to, like, switch from San Francisco to Los Angeles, it would be, like, a couple of days for them to switch me into that market. And then, like, a certain amount of time before I could switch back. Like, it was very, like, regimented and, like, all sorts of rules and stuff. Also, no fares. It was all donation-based. It wasn't in, it was New Year's 2014 that they started actually charging fares. You would take a lift, and it would tell you what, you know, like, suggested donation and you could either pay that much or more or less. But then as a driver, you could have your settings so that if someone didn't pay on average, like at least like 90% of the fare, I wouldn't even get their ride request. So if you didn't pay the suggested donation very quickly, you would be like blocked out of the system. What was it like on the job? So when I first started driving, I think it was like maybe the first weekend that I drove, I picked up a prostitute. <laughs> Picked up this girl, it was like a Saturday morning, I picked her up at a hotel in like Knob Hill, Tender Knob, right? Like that kind of area. She was like my age-ish, wearing a dress that I totally would wear. We were like chatting it up and like I'm asking her things and, and I asked her, you know, what she did and she said she was a sex worker. And I was like, what does that mean? She's like, I'm a prostitute. I was like, shut up. <laughs> And I learned a lot about the business of whoring that morning. Yeah, what did she say about it? Well, so she was using that, like, telling me about how she books her clients. It was, like, through this website. I probably remember the name of it if I tried, but I remember asking a friend who's a public defender, asking her about it, and she was like, oh, yeah, I know that one very well. But it was, like, basically, like, Yelp for whores, oh which was her words, not mine. She had, like, a page with, like, her services menu and, like, in order to make an appointment with her, you had to have references from two other people on the site. Awesome. So in order to like actually make an appointment, someone had to be vouched for by two other workers, like two, yeah, yeah. right? So like there was some safety involved with it. Right. So I picked her up, I took her home, and then she got some things, and then I took her to a seminar from this place called One Taste, which I had never heard of before. I learned, I'm telling you, I learned a lot this morning. And she went to a seminar on, what was it called? But it was basically like a, a ladies circle jerk was this like thing that she was going to. It was very weird. Wish I could remember details. Obviously, I had to Google this One Taste seminar. And according to the internet, it's orgasmic meditation. Om. A unique wellness practice that combines mindfulness with the power of the deeply human, deeply felt experience of orgasm. I'm just going to leave that for you to explore further if you choose to. And ask Stephanie if she had any bad rides or bad passengers. Not really, not a ton. I drove for Uber for a very short period of time. And I had more assholes in my car in that month than I did in a year and a half with Lyft. It's one of the reasons that I... I don't even have the Uber app anymore. Yeah. But yeah, some assholes when I drove for Uber. Like, I remember a guy telling, like, racist jokes and, like, talking about some story about his daughter who was, like, two, three, four, something in that range, like, making a joke about, like, why don't we do a joke? 
that's not the right word, but like saying something about how his daughter made some comment about like shooting homeless people and he thought it was funny. Our friend Aaron chimed in and asked why Uber and Lyft is this bipartisan system. Well, so I think it's less so now, but at the time, and like this was like 2013, they were like really heavily competitive and the businesses started from different ends, right? Like Uber started with like their black car kind of service, whereas Lyft started on the lower end of like, you know, your friend with a car, donations. Even driving for the companies was different, like their vehicle requirements were different. Lyft was a lot more flexible. I mean, at the time, Lyft allowed for passengers to tip in the app, and Uber didn't. And like, I felt very strongly about drivers not accepting cash for any reason. Because like, to me, anytime a driver accepts cash, it put me at risk because it meant that there were people out there who thought that their Uber or Lyft drivers had cash on them, right? And, like, that's not okay. Also, I think because Uber started as a black car, like, the clientele were people who were expecting a type of service. They would always sit in back. I had people refer to me as driver as if it were my name. And I'm like, look, either open your app and see my name or just say excuse me. Yeah. But, like, you're, you're in my car. Right. <laughs> I'm giving you a ride. You're in my car, you know, and I was driving a Lexus at the time, which was not a typical car for car share. It really pissed me off. Like people just like had a very different attitude about it. Whereas like with Lyft, people would get in the front seat and like treat me like a human being. Is it better? Key question. Is it better to ride in the front or the back seat? My driver's opinions are very outdated. I haven't driven since 2014. I prefer to sit in the front seat, right? Like when I'm driving anytime, I'd rather sit in the front seat. There's more space. It's, you know, more comfortable. But I always check it out before I get in. Like if they have the seat pulled way forward or a bag on the seat, because some drivers don't, they want you to sit in the back. Mm -hmm. I find in San Francisco, they're much more open to you sitting in the front than anywhere else. Yeah. I love writing because my favorite thing is stories and I get to get every single driver's stories. You know, I like dig in deep for my 20 minute ride. (laughs) I almost always sit in the front, mostly for that purpose, because it's like weird having a conversation with one person in the back and one in the front. I'll sit in the back if I'm in a bad mood. If I'm like, don't talk to me. I don't want to interact with humans. (laughs) I think like as a driver, I learned a lot about Maybe not, like, new skills, but I learned a lot about just, like, thinking about how to relate to people. Or, like, if someone sits in the front, they'll want to talk. If someone sits in the back and is on their phone, they probably don't want to talk. Yeah. Right? Like, things that you know, but, like, you become more conscious of these cues. Right, right. I would drive in the mornings and, like, someone would get in my car, you know, dressed in, like, business, business, you know, whatever, going to work and good morning how's it going you know I'd be in the marina and some girl gets in my car I'd be like oh my god I love your skirt you know you just kind of learn how to reflect energy in like a more conscious way which is a really really useful skill I wanted to know what the best part of driving was and her answer is the magic that was really the best part about it was the serendipity. In the morning when you turn your app on, if you turn it on now or 30 seconds from now, your whole day is different, right? Because, like, who you pick up 
and where they're going determines the next who you pick up and where they're going. And so, like, you could just never know. A handful of times I picked up people I knew. Um, once I picked up a girl I hadn't seen in years, years, and it was so fun. I saw her name. She had a really distinct, unique name, and I saw her name on my app, and I was like, I wonder. And she said that she had the same feeling, and, like, she saw me on the app and was like, oh, my God, is that Stephanie? So I remember, like, I pulled up, and I was really excited, and she came, like, running down the stairs, and we, it was really fun. There was another time I met a friend of a friend who we had never actually met in person, but, like, I knew her, like, photo, her avatar, because we had done some, like, emailing about something regarding another friend. We had actually spoken many times but never met in person and then she, until she got in my car, which was cool. Yeah. And also, like, in the early days when it was a lot of, it was a smaller group of people that were using it, I had numerous repeat passengers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My favorite one was probably I picked up these guys. They were going to look in an apartment. And they were really excited about this apartment. And, like, we did these, like, um, like good luck little things. Like, I remember, like, you know, doing funny handshakes and things like that. All of these things to give them good vibes as they were, like, going in to check out the apartment. And I picked up one of the guys a week later. And he re remembered me. And he was like, guess what? We got the apartment. <laughs> it was really That's fun. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. You feel like you're part of someone's life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were multiple occasions I picked up people from a breakup, like walking out bag in hand, taking them to a friend's house or something like that. So there was a lot of like therapy, like bartender style therapy, totally. which was really, really fun. Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. There was one morning I picked up one of the founders of Lyft. Just picked him up from home and took him to a meeting and he was super nice and like joked with me about things that like I think about now that I'm sure he would never joke about, especially with some like rando driver right. talking about like the data they had, you know, because you know exactly of who's going to where. The fact that he actually joked about it with a rando driver strangely makes me feel safer because it makes it signals to me that he understood that this was not an appropriate way to use data. But he was saying that like they could probably look at someone's travels and if, and figure out if they were like cheating on their spouse totally. based on like where they go and when, yeah. you know, and like how you can, if you really like put together people's travel data, you could learn a lot about them. Yeah. And again, this was before any of this was like an actual issue. Right. You know, like joking about just all of the data that they had and like what they could do with it. Right. Because I remember there was a thing with Uber actually doing that to journalists. Oh wow. Yeah, there was one particular female blogger. Again, one of the many re like reason number four hundred and seventeen why I won't use Uber. And again, this was under the former CEO who, even before all this stuff came out about him being a jerk, every woman in San Francisco knew that that guy was a jerk. So this female blogger was writing some bad things about Uber, and at a party, someone pulled up her travel data and was like, look, this is where she is right now. And then she found out about it. Oh. Yeah. I want to say that was like the summer of 2014 or 15. Mm -hmm. Really scary.
She said serendipity was the best part of driving, but it also enhanced her social life and her love life. I went on dates with Lyft passengers a, no. a number of times. Excuse me. <laughs> there was one time where like, I picked up these guys at a bar, these three guys, I picked them up at a bar and I was taking them to dinner and we we're having a good time in the car and they're like, you wanna join us for dinner? And the restaurant they were going to had a parking lot. So I was like, sure. So I parked the car and turned off the app and they bought me dinner and <laughs> I ended up with this guy and a bottle of wine out at Ocean Beach at 3 a.m. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. That definitely happened. Making friends. Uh, there was one Lyft passenger that I, I dated for a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. I remember another time taking a group of people. They were going to a concert. And I was taking them. And again, we were having a good time in the car. And they were like, you know, we have an extra ticket if you want to come. So I was like, sure. Parked the car and went in. Ran into other friends of mine while I was there. It was a great night. Yeah. Flying down the freeway, cruising on third, some guy looks at my she had some great nights. Ratings are important to riders and to drivers. Steph is going to tell us how that works. But first, this tip sign. I rode with this woman in Fresno, and she had a big sign about some percentage of tips or whatever going to lift and da-da-da, and like, please, basically was like requesting tips. And that made me tips or yeah. cash tips? No, not cash tips. Okay, good. Tips. Okay. That made me really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. No. Then they have signs up about like, make sure to give me five stars. Yeah. I'm like, look, if you were really good, you wouldn't have to exactly remind me. Right, right, right. So one time we were getting a lift and we started talking about the ratings and the driver was telling us that we have ratings too. Uh And then we were all going down this rabbit hole of like trying to figure out what our rating was. And I think with Lyft, you actually have to like email the company to get your rating. It's like not on your profile. Oh yeah, no, it's not visible to you, but it is visible to the driver. Right. So when you take a ride, you can ask them and they may remember because yeah. they can't see it once you're in the car, I don't think. Right. But when they're when they're going to pick you up, they can see your rating. Right. One of the things I remember from my orientation as a driver, and I think that they still do it now, is that if you rate someone three or below, you'll never be paired with them again. Good. Which also means that a four is a big deal. Right. Which is why a lot of drivers talk about the ratings is because many passengers think that a four is like, fine yeah and five is stellar yeah but that's not the case yeah because a three means i never want to see you again so like right right those are big steps between a three and a four and a five and this guy was saying he won't pick up anyone that's less than a 4.8 oh yeah that's how we got started on the conversation because then we were like 4.8 like Mm -hmm. what are we you know you're probably five stars. There's no reason why you wouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, because drivers want five stars, so they're giving five stars. Right. The standard for a passenger is much lower. And also, there's not a lot of room for you to mess up. Yeah. With a driver, like, they can get a low rating if they pick you up wrong or if they go drive too fast or too slow. Yes, yes. Right? There's a lot of things that can change that up. Yeah. But really, like, unless your driver is not good, give them five. Yeah. Like, I've given fours if they're not paying attention to the GPS or yeah. they're not safe drivers like too fast or it's more all, often it's too all slow. about safety yeah it's all about safety if I do not feel safe in your car for whatever reason mm-hmm. you're gonna get less than that yeah I was a Lyft mentor I don't think that they do this anymore no they may or may not but they started this program and I was like Lyft mentor number 12 or something like that like they picked a couple of drivers and then 
this is when they went away from doing interviews. They started this mentor thing. So when someone wanted to drive Lyft, they would open up the app, like put it in driver mode or whatever. And then as a Lyft mentor, when I was out driving, I would get what kind of looked like a ride request, but it was a mentor request. So then I would park my car and basically become the passenger. And I would request a ride and someone would come and pick me up and I would ride with them and inspect their car and, you know, and recommend to Lyft if they should be a driver or not. It's a great idea because then you don't need boots on the ground in order to like mm -hmm. expand your driver base in a city, right? You have right. your drivers training other drivers. The standard was essentially like, would you let your sister ride in the car with this person? Right. Would you feel comfortable with your friends and family being in the car with this person? And if yes, great. And if no, great. But like, did you have any that you were like, yeah, really? Uh huh. There was somebody who I gave a ride to who, while she was, or no, who I gave a ride to, who gave me a ride, who told me that she wasn't comfortable driving and talking at the same time. And I was like, well, maybe this isn't the job for you. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a lot of that. Yeah. Even though like she was very nice. You know, I was like, no, thanks. That's what I think of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some people had shitty cars. That was also a no. Yeah, like if the car is dirty, nasty, I don't, I don't like it. No, well, and also in that situation, it's like someone not brushing their hair for a job interview. Correct. You know, it's like, what do you think we're doing here? Yeah, like where's your level of common sense? Yeah. yeah. You take passengers like that, fine, but like you don't take the person who's inspecting your car. Yeah, bad judgment. Yeah. Stephanie worked in San Francisco, California, which is a notoriously difficult place to drive. I was complaining to her about drivers who come into the city and don't know what the heck they're doing. She has no chill for this. No, you should know how to drive if you're driving here. It's your job, you're taking money to give somebody a ride. You better be able to do it, yeah. you know? <laughs> I mean, the thing is about driving in San Francisco, and when I drove Lyft, I used to tell people that I spend all day watching people make bad decisions. People are intimidated by the idea of driving in a city, and so they just expect things to be haywire, and so they start acting haywire, and then it throws things haywire. I drove in San Lyft in San Francisco for a year and a half without incident. It's possible to do. We had a guy, like an older guy, that like didn't know where he was going. This was in Oakland. Missed whatever exit he was supposed to take and then pulled over on the side of the freeway. No. Yes. That guy got like a zero star. <laughs> no. Because that is not safe. That is no. not what you do. Yeah. Uh -uh. He was all flustered and lost. That guy shouldn't be driving himself. Absolutely not. No. Aaron directed him to the next exit and we got out. <laughs> He was like, let us out of this vehicle immediately. I mean, like, things happen. I remember one time this couple gets in the car, and I'm not taking them far, just down the street to, like, the grocery store. And I somehow turned on this one street that then became the only place to do to go was onto the Bay Bridge. Oh. It was so embarrassing. It yeah. was so embarrassing. But I had to drive all the way down to Treasure Island and turn around right. and come back into the city yeah. and all they were doing was going a couple of blocks to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, there are adjustments. There's adjustments driving in any new place. Like driving on the East Coast is different than driving on the West Coast, you know? But it's the people who make the adjustments versus the people who freak out. 
Don't freak out. Just make a decision and go with it. Here's one final experience of being a passenger with a driver whose life is in turmoil. Were you with me Labor Day in San Diego when the Lyft driver got a ticket? No, I don't think so. It was so horrible. He, was it? yes, he picked us up like in a place you're not supposed to pick up people, and he got pulled over and got a ticket, and he was fully crying tears no. about the ticket. Yes, and we're just sitting in the back seat. Well, oh, like it's so your fault, dude, because oh. you're the one that told him to pick you up there. <laughs> he wasn't like, no, ladies, why don't you come over here instead? I mean, we were not from San Diego. We were on vacation. We didn't know, like, where the appropriate places were to pick up. But apparently this guy should have known because it was labeled, I guess. Oh, no. After the ticket, he's driving us home crying. And then he's telling us all about how he's, like, here from Iraq and, like, his family are refugees. And he has to, like, send money back to them. And then was, like, crying about his family. Oh, my God. It was so sad. How much did you tip? I tipped him so many dollars. <laughs> So many dollars. Yes, I was just like, take my money. <laughs> right before I posted this episode, I had two great rides with Judy and Alejandro. And my partner Aaron had such a friendly driver that they sat outside the house at drop-off, continuing their conversation until his next rider arrived. So let's wrap up what we learned from one of the original Lyft mentors. Use your driver's first name, give them five stars unless they do something crazy, and read the cues they give you about sitting in the front or back seat. And just a warning to my drivers, if you give me any indication that you want to talk, I'm going to ask you 20 questions, because I bet you're weird and I want to hear about it. Yes, there's a movie on Showtime about Uber's CEO called Super Pumped. It covers some of the stuff Stephanie mentioned about the journalist and data privacy issues. Not even the supreme hotness of Joseph Gordon-Levitt can make this dude likable. This song is Crash With No Cushion by the High Decibels. Okay, we ride. We ride, we ride.